The following program is sponsored by Evangelical Life Ministries. Welcome to Engaging Truth, the manifestation of God's Word in the lives of people around us. Join us each week as we explore the impact of His message of spiritual renewal. From the lesson of forgiveness forged in the crucible of divorce, to the message of salvation learned by an executioner from a condemned killer, to the gift of freedom found in the rescue of victims of human trafficking. This is God's Truth in Action. And welcome to another edition of Engaging Truth. I'm your host, Pastor John Kane. With us today on the program, we have the Reverend Dr. Lawrence White. Uh, he has served as the senior pastor of Our Savior Lutheran Church, Houston, Texas, since June of 1981. Pastor White is a regular speaker for national pro-life, pro-family organizations across the United States. And in that connection, he's had the opportunity to address millions of Americans through radio and television broadcasts, and he's spoken to nearly 20,000 pastors across the nation. Pastor White's also served on the National Advisory Board of the Family Research Council. Welcome to the program, Larry. Thank you, Dave. Good to be with you. So um, in the news today, I saw that the the Supreme Court is considering a a case concerning restrictions on abortion by mail, uh, a drug uh, question. The Texas Supreme Court has temporarily blocked some abortions this past week. Arizona, New Mexico, and Wyoming state Supreme Courts are about to consider abortion access. So in the aftermath of Roe versus Wade, where are we? Well, we are in a country that is in moral free fall. You know, <clears throat> excuse me, the, uh, the day Roe versus Wade was overturned, we had a rally here in Houston in front of the largest Planned Parenthood center in North America. There were about two dozen people there, 12 of them from my congregation. The other side, those lamenting the Supreme Court decision, had 2,000 people in front of City Hall. I think that difference reflects our dilemma. Law is always an expression or application of someone's morality. We're frequently told, we pro-life folks, that uh, we should keep our morality to ourselves. Well, that's well and good, but what they're really saying is you keep your morality to yourself because we've already legislated our morality. What's been happening is that while we've been fighting a battle in the courts and even in the political arena, the culture is shifting beneath our feet. If indeed the no judgmentalism anything goes that works for me approach to life continues to become more firmly entrenched within the culture. All of these other arguments are going to remain academic. You know, as Lutherans, uh, most of our great grandparents, uh, and you may have been around then, Dave, but uh, my great grandparents anyway, uh, lamented the adoption of the Volstead Act and prohibition back in the 1920s. 
the, which was a Christian political initiative. The problem was a moral consensus within the culture did not exist in support of that legislation. So the law was unenforceable. My great-grandfather made uh, beer in his bathtub because uh, he said he couldn't live without it. Uh, my great-grandmother was uh, less than impressed with his willingness to disobey the law. But I think that's where we are now. There have been seven major statewide initiatives since Roe versus Wade was overturned. The pro-life side lost every single one of them. The most recent being in the state of Ohio, which is a relatively conservative state with a lot of Bible-believing Christians in it. But we've come to a point in our country where we are not comfortable saying no to anyone about anything because the moral standard of America is me. I will do what I choose to do and no one has the right to challenge my choice. The pro-abortion movement was very wise to designate their effort as pro-choice. Choice is the moral standard by which we live and no one dare question, challenge, or deny anyone else's choice. That's why we're losing. As we look at the polls on these moral topics, for us, the bottom falls out at about age 35. The generation that has grown up in contemporary America, the whole concept of moral standards is repugnant to a great many Americans, no matter what the issue is. We see the transformation taking place across the board, but nowhere more emphatically than in the area of sexual morality and therefore abortion. If recreational sex of any shape and form with any kind of partner under any and all circumstances is the standard by which America is going to operate, and that would certainly seem to be the case, then abortion is a practical necessity because it is, as our friends on the other side tell us, unfair that the way the system is set up by whoever set it up, women can get pregnant and men can't. We have to correct that injustice by giving the woman the choice to remove the problem of an unplanned pregnancy, which was an obstacle to her pursuit of her pleasure. That's the mindset we're up against. And that generational difference has transformed the landscape of American morality. 
and even those of us who are older than that 35-year-old collapse in the numbers are no longer comfortable saying no to anyone else. You ask these people, as we listen to the news on the most recent election day, coming out of the polling booths, well, how did you vote? Well, most of them voted pro-choice. And their typical comment was, well, I would never have an abortion. I don't approve of abortion, but I don't have the right to tell someone else they cannot have an abortion. The mindset that has overtaken our country is fails to take into account the biblical reality that when God says no, that prohibition is always an expression of his compassion and concern for the sinner. God hates uh, sin because sin is damaging, painful, malignant, morally, for the sinner. And thus, his prohibitions, his commandments, are merely an expression of his compassion and his love. He's attempting to protect us from ourselves. But we have, we worship another God here in America at this point. The great God, me, myself, and I. An unholy trinity, if there ever was one. And that's why the transformation of this country, which began at full speed back in the 1960s, uh, focused on our uh, sexual activity, our sexual identity. And we keep moving further and further and further away from the divine design. God created male and female to complete one another. The language of Genesis says, I will make him a helpmate fit for him. And it is not coincidental that our sexual identity is the, both the manner in which we express love for one another and the manner in which we take part in the creation of life. If sex is nothing more than a selfish personal pursuit of pleasure, and my partner, whoever that partner may be, identity optional these days, is merely an object that I use to meet my own needs. As long as that viewpoint prevails and it grows stronger and stronger every year among us. As long as that viewpoint prevails, abortion will remain a practical necessity to facilitate the satisfaction of my own desires. That, of course, reduces all of us to the level of just another animal. The Bible says we were created in the image and after the likeness of God. God is love. We are intended by the Creator 
to live for something beyond ourselves. Because no matter how successful we are in the pursuit of our desires and the satisfaction of our self-perceived needs, our lives will remain empty if it's all about me. Me is a lonely pronoun. And we have a lot of lonely people who are having a lot of what they perceive to be fun and their lives mean nothing as they run from the pursuit of one pleasure to the next. A life lived for self cannot satisfy, the hymn says. And that is the truth. We were meant to be lovers like God is love. That love is not selfish. It is selfless or it cannot satisfy. And that's how we got into this mess in the first place. Now, of course, the devil, our adversary, is a gradualist. He is patient. He is subtle. He moves slowly and undercover. He never shows his hand. And we don't figure out what's going on until it's too late. I fear that our failure as advocates of life to recognize the groundswell of change taking place on the most basic level of American society has made the challenge that we face now in the aftermath of Roe versus Wade all the more difficult because we appear to be, and in a sense are, repudiating the entire moral mindset of this country. And it's, that's a much more difficult task than merely overturning a law. We have played the political game too much without focusing sufficiently on the fundamental moral principles involved in these issues. I wonder how many of our members of our audience today have ever heard a sermon about abortion in their church or have ever heard their pastor encourage them and indeed instruct them to stand for that which is good and right and godly in the public square. Martin Luther, whose opinion I've always been rather fond of, once said that when the prince sins, the pastor who will not speak out is just a pig at the trough, afraid to lose his position there, so he remains silent. Christians of America are being transformed by the culture because the churches of America have failed to articulate the truth of God 
and the nature of our responsibility as sons and daughters of the Lord Jesus Christ. Dave, you've heard me tell this story before, but I think it's a classic. One of the few pastors in uh, Nazi Germany in the 19, early 1940s was a man named uh, Martin Niemöller. He was pastor in the Berlin suburb of Dahlem. He uh, was outspoken in his criticism of the racism and the corruption of the Nazi regime and the dictatorship of Adolf Hitler. But the SS and uh, Gestapo agents sitting in the pews of his church every Sunday, writing down every word he said, this was in a pre-cell phone era, Everybody knew he was going to get arrested sooner or later, and he was. They came in the middle of the night, the devil loves the darkness, and they hauled him away to Moabit City Jail in downtown Berlin. Threw him in the holding cell with the drunks and the prostitutes who had been arrested that night, and there he sat in his clerical collar surrounded by a floor covered with blood and vomit. And that morning, the Lutheran prison chaplain is making his rounds. And he gets to where the holding cell is located and is horrified to see one of his colleagues in the ministry sitting in that cell. And he looks at him and he says, Brother Martin, what did you do? Why are you here? Niemöller looked back at him and said, My brother, given what's happening in our country, why aren't you here? We have failed to articulate and advocate the truth of the righteousness and the love of God. And our people in an ever more intrusive society are being more influenced by a whole host of other opinion makers than they are the church. That's why the church is struggling to not only thrive, but to survive because all too often what we offer is the same thing that they're hearing from the culture all around them. We've surrendered to bring in the bodies in the bucks. And if we're just like all the others, why should they bother with us? The others are better at it. We are the salt. We are the light. We are the shining city set up on a hill. The darkness is covering over that light. I fear for my grandchildren and for my children who are living in an America very, very different than the country in which I was raised a generation ago. When the church, when the people of God lose their influence in a culture, it is always in every situation, at every point in history, by default. 
The devil cannot silence the word of God if the word of God is preached and taught. But if we simply conform to what is happening around us, then he wins because we have not taken our place on the battlefield of right and wrong, of truth against falsehood. And I think that battle has become more difficult because of the Supreme Court decision to overturn Roe versus Wade. And those Christian leaders who have engaged in the public square all too often have done so as just a little, another political interest group. We must be involved, but not in politics. We must be involved as Christians, applying our moral convictions in a way that does not compromise, as we discussed in our pre-interview conversation, the lesser of two evils is still evil. And if we settle for the lesser of two evils, that's all we'll ever get. Our politicians aren't good at much, but they're good at determining the voters' bottom line. What will we settle for? And once they've got that figured out, that's all we'll ever get. No action, no change, no principled stand for that which is good and godly, just promises and platitudes. We'll come back to our guest in in just a moment. I'd like to uh, remind our listeners there is only one ELM Houston or Evangelical Life Ministries. I'd like to invite you to visit our program website, elmhouston.org, to read more about us. You'll find shortcuts to our Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube accounts. You may also donate to support our work from that website. From our Facebook page, you can find podcasts of past programming. I'd like you to know that all of our on-the-air hosts are volunteers so your donations will go far to help us purchase radio airtime. And we strive to have a wide variety of interviews with people who are creatively sharing the good news of Jesus Christ at that intersection of where faith meets life. You may write us at ELM, P.O. Box 568, Cypress, Texas, 77410. And now back to our guest. Pastor White, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 10, 23 said, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. And I think he was struggling with what you're talking about, this Christian morality pushing back against um, popular social opinions or uh, you know, other things that that may come through uh, legislation. Uh, how do, how does a Christian chart the right course in a culture that's out of step with Christian morality? We've got about a minute. <laughs> <laughs> Stick with the word. Live by the word. Do not compromise. Politics is the art of the possible. We're told over and over again, Christianity is the art of the impossible. And if we will be faithful to the word, we cannot be defeated. 
You didn't think I was going to get that done. I didn't think you'd die. No, I didn't think you'd say that that's a single. That's that's wonderful. Uh, As Christians, we know we have Christ as our Savior. He has accomplished our salvation by his uh, sacrificial death on the cross as God in human flesh. And so as we enter this uh, very special time of uh, preparation for yet another Christian we, uh, Christmas, we thank our Lord for his love, for his forgiveness, his guidance, and the future that is ours in Jesus Christ. Pastor White, thank you for uh, your words of uh, clarification and guidance for us. And to our listeners, we tell you to join us again real soon for another edition of Engaging Truth. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to this broadcast of Engaging Truth. Be sure to join us each week at this time. To help support our ministry, contact Evangelical Life Ministries, Post Office Box 568, Cypress, Texas 77410, or visit our website at elmhouston.org, or find us on Facebook at Evangelical Life Ministries. Thank you.